Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. What if I told you there's a world where not only are monsters like vampires and werewolves real, but they have rights just like you and me. And in this world, there exists a secret government organization dedicated to keeping you safe and making sure they follow the rules. Welcome to Anarium. A Monster of the Week podcast. Each episode, you will follow the story of three agents of Anarian, played by Rob Hamilton, Taylor Catron, and Cameron Bain, as they navigate through the treacherous world that Game Master Samuel Herbert has imagined for them. Tune in on Spotify, iTunes, or whatever your preferred podcast platform is. It's dangerous out there, folks. So, remember, leave the monster hunting to us. The professionals. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So we're going to have a really awesome show lined up for you today. We are continuing our uh, trend of getting out of the realm of Dungeons and Dragons and getting into some other games. But before we get into that tonight, I want to introduce, as always, my co-host Liwanika. Uh, Liwanika, how are things down in the fine state of Connecticut this evening? Wet. Windy. <laughs> Wet the windy, roads yeah. are treacherous. I was yeah. blown lane to lane trying to get back from the nine to five in time to record <laughs> this podcast. But I promise you, everyone out there listening to the sound of my voice, nothing would stop me from talking about the game no. we're hitting tonight. Nothing would what, stop me. I was going to no, make absolutely. this happen. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you have for your uh, tabletop role-playing news of the week tonight? So I have an incredible event that's like a culmination of different things that had happened in my Monday night homebrew ongoing campaign. I think I've mentioned to you personally, actually, I know I've mentioned to you personally, but yeah. I may not have mentioned on air that I run a very big game on Monday nights. There are eight players total. It has crossed over with my other ongoing campaign from time to time, but there are eight players in this game right at the moment with, with a, uh, a ninth player who... T tips in every now and then and has been there for a while. They got to a point where the players wanted to guess what you guessed it. Storytellers out there split the party. So <laughs> when they did this, there was no way I could do uh, a split party in one session with that many people. I just couldn't. So I had to split the sessions. So I typically run every other Monday night. So for most of 2022, I have been running every Monday night with the two campaigns alternating between the two groups and uh, one group finished up a little while right before Valentine's day. When we came back, the one of the groups had to finish up their event. Like we left them in the middle of a combat because we just ran short of time. We generally game for about two hours at a shot. This can't, this particular combat took a little bit longer. There's a big arena fight. It was all the things like every character in the fight on that encounter builder was bloodied or dead at the end of the combat. And that was four four heroes, one NPC, 
and five enemy villains, everybody bloodied or dead. Most of the bloodied were like five, six points. One person got down to two. They did get healed up immediately after that in the last round of combat, but it went about eight, maybe nine rounds of combat and everybody was at the edge. So it was all the things you want your event, your combat to be your players survive, but everybody was worried. People went down. Healers had to heal them up. Issues happened. They actually had to revivify the the NPC because the oh, NPC wow. flat died. <laughs> like <just can't. laughs> nice. that talking ape was not coming back without a hundred GP diamond, uh, and it went really well. But that was just the first half hour of the game. Yeah. Then they went back because they're in the arena. Their representative in the arena helped them, got them some stuff. They got acc- accolades. All the characters role played what they were doing, leaving the arena. We had the half work, arm, arm held high, yelling, screaming, blowing kisses at the fans because, you know, ladies love a half work in a gladiatorial arena. It's great. And nice. the best part was when they all had their big dinner at the end, I actually had one of my players become a warlock. The, this town was run by a djinn, and he, and the djinn made the offer. He made the deal. He accepted the deal. So nice. I got to role play the actual moment when somebody becomes a, a warlock. That's pretty hot. Game. That's pretty and hot. I loved that moment. It was great. Yeah. Fantastic. That sounds that's awesome. I can't even – that sounds really cool about how make role playing through that transition from like ordinary schmo to 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 warlock that sounds pretty cool my news is far briefer it seems as finally the the kickstarter distribution gridlock which has uh which has plagued any of us who have backed any kickstarters in the last year is finally starting to break i've talked about a couple of these over the last couple of weeks here as they've been coming out here and just recently in the mail i got the latest creature compendium package from studio agate for fate forge fifth edition it is a monstrous tome. This sucker is about 400 pages of creatures, of scenarios, of encounters. It's got four or five other books in there. It's got five or six maps in the pack. It's a beautiful set. Studio Agate did a fantastic job on this. The art is gorgeous. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to uh, to diving into that. And in general, I am excited that that all of these uh, all these books and everything that, that came out last year. I'm a huge Kickstarter guy. I love backing stuff on Kickstarter. I love backing indie creators. And I can only imagine what the frustration has been like over the last year with the production delays and everything like that that, that have been plaguing the bulk of the industry, really. So not just, Everybody. Not just the Kickstarter folks. Exactly, right. But I'm very excited that came in the mail. Good job, Studio Agate. Nice looking. And I'm uh, looking forward to settling in and being able to read the uh, thousand pages of material that is that has arrived in the in the post here. So I'm just hoping that you, when you break out some of that stuff in games that I'm playing in or a part of, that you let me know after the fact so mm. I can like also enjoy it. Oh, okay. That's where you got that one. From. Yeah. Well, I, I can I say- that uh, was pretty cool. I, I can say in some of the things that I've already read, I suspect that uh, they may be coming out to, like within the week. You may experience well, some of the things that I've read in this book already. And any of our, although this is going to come out after we record our next Patreon actual plays, Patreon, the shock and off. You listen to the episode now. Some of the stuff you're going to encounter in session eight came out of the new book that I just got. So you're welcome. You can thank Studio Agate for that. Anyway, all that to go ahead and say we've got a very special guest on the show tonight. We are going to be talking about Palladium games and in. We're going to talk about Palladium in general, and we're going to be talking about some specific Palladium builds in specific. And we have with us an, uh, we have with us a ringer this evening to go ahead and help yeah. us navigate the uh, the complicated labyrinth that is Palladium Games. Everybody, I want to introduce you to Eddie Jakes. Eddie, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Thank you. Welcome, it's, my uh, it's been a long time coming. Glad I to know. finally be here. Absolutely. I know. I mean, Lee Winika has been talking about getting you on the show here for, I mean, the show's been on for about a year and a half, and I think he's roughly been talking about trying to get you in here for about a year and three quarters. So that's- Congratulations, uh, you by know. the way. You guys are really tearing it up. We're all proud of you, so. Oh, thanks. Thank we really you. appreciate that. We've got the best fans out there. We really do. And it's been a ton of fun, and we're just glad that people are enjoying it. Yeah, it's all that really matters. Yeah, my name is Eddie. I've been role-playing, I think, since my cousin first showed me a set of dice when I was 10, and <laughs> I'm 44 now. And <laughs> it's, a minute. It, yeah, it started with Dungeons and Dragons and yeah. my partner, Mike, who Lee knows first ran a, a Robotech game when we were teenagers. And there was just something about that system that just grabbed me like immediately. 
versus the the Dungeons and Dragons system, which was still in advanced at this point. I think it was still advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which what oh. was very similar still to the D twenty stuff. But there was something about the Palladium system that I found more realistic. If that makes sense, just even though we're talking about big giant robots turning into jets, <laughs> right, right, right. Everything about it from the way damages and structural damage and hit points yeah. like i'm like yeah that makes so much more sense to me than you get hit this much you collapse and die yeah all of that just really grabbed me and the i started grabbing whatever books i could hmm. um at the time and i i think i must have tried or at least made characters for every palladium game with the exception of riffs i never got into riffs which is ironic that's their biggest game but yeah. I never got into riffs. Riffs is my bread and butter. Like it was always, there was always a major riffs game that one of my crew was always running. Or and then we did other games like Recon, the Vietnam War era game, or Ninjas and Super Spies. I ran. Somebody yeah. else would run a Supers game, which is tremendous fun. Riff, Palladium Supers is so much fun at the table. Like it's just really well built. And I'm right with you. The things that grabbed me were the same things. There's an internal logic to the way they handle hit points and damage that is consistent throughout all of their games that just makes more logical sense than what you'll find in most other tabletop games. That's definitely something that intrigued me also is that how all their games use the same system and -hmm. were compatible. Whereas I don't know if you guys remember back in the day when it was still TSR, they tried different games like Buck Rogers and they had spell, spell Jammer. Spell Jammer, yep. There was a bunch of different games and each of them had a different system to them, which made it confusing because you basically thought you were buying additions to Dungeons and Dragons and it turned out to be a self contained game. They also did had their hand at Marvel, which I thought was a good idea, but a horrible game. <laughs> no the first marvel game i thought was terrible it didn't make any sense i enjoyed it because it was marvel and we got to build superheroes yeah and it was better than the concurrent dc game what game product they had one it was boxing <laughs> i own it oh i know <laughs> i'm just saying we looked at it it was terrible it was horribly complex like it was unbalanced it, dc it was, characters are unbalanced i think they that's, are yeah that, that is inherently the challenge with supers in general is that in any comic book universe, you have extremely powerful people and then you have street level people. And when the twain meet, street level people get cleaned out. So when you're playing the game, that's why Heroclix works on this setup. Very similar to the way Warhammer works. You set yeah. the point value that everybody plays at. So then your players are balanced, even though the world may not be. Right. And, and and I think if you're going to do a supers game, you really need to do that. It was probably the one letdown with Palladium Supers. They didn't do that piece where something like GURPS did supers. They did everything in GURPS was that you determine the points you're putting into your character, regardless of what genre or which book you're building your character in. And that way you could mix any genre and they would be, relatively speaking, matched. Well, the first you're doing the same per- points the first editions of like heroes unlimited didn't learn the lessons of teenage mutant ninja turtles and don't get me wrong i love teenage mutant ninja turtles the game that was like another game that we played the heck out of but the mutant bioe rules were very unbalanced it was very easy to make a jacked mutant character and if you didn't you got left behind because i wanted to be creative so i made a mutant weasel the mutant weasel <laughs> got his butt kicked on a regular. I didn't care. I was having fun, okay. but it was too easy to have a really unbalanced group where the larger ones are carrying the whole game. But Heroes Unlimited didn't really add much to that when they pulled it out. I don't think it was until after the bomb they really got those mutant rules to a place where I think if you applied them to teenage modern Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I think you'd have a better game. Yeah. Definitely. So before before we get too far afield into other games here, I'm going to go ahead and try to go ahead and, and keep us constrained a little bit here and try to get back onto Palladium here. So I am uh, Those are of all the three Palladium of us. Games. Yeah, they're all Palladium. Oh, games. sure. Yeah, they're all they're all Palladium deals. Uh, that's fair. But if we keep talking about all the other Palladium deals, we're never going to get to Dead Rain, which is really what we brought you here to talk. We're going to get there. Oh yeah, we'll get there in a minute. Yeah. So 
I am, of the three of us, I am the one that has never played a Palladium game before. And so I'm assuming that some of the folks that are out in our listening audience are in the same boat that I am, that they're probably aware of Palladium games, but they've never actually played any. So what you alluded to this, to the unique rule system and the way that it handles wounds and everything like that. So can we elaborate on that a little bit? What is it that Palladium does, like more specifically, that is so different than your standard, like, Dungeons and Dragons clone or whatever. We'll definitely get back to this when we, uh, we're we revamping the podcast stuff and we get back to it. I think we're probably one of the first ones to start throwing the game like against Dungeons and Dragons, Palladium versus Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, they have a great series that they started. Yeah. Uh, I think you're two or three episodes deep where they take a character class in Dungeons and Dragons and compare it to its equivalent class in Palladium Fantasy. Oh, nice. And then they and then they go basically stat group by stat in comparison, and it's not to incite a, fl- uh, a fan fandom flame war. It's more to explain those differences. So people see what translates, and you can basically see if you're playing what these things mean or what they would look like. So it's easier to make that transition. Right. It's a brilliant it, series. It, it helps to highlight pluses and minuses with both games. Yeah, um, absolutely. The The way I describe Palladium is it's a lot more raw, in my opinion. So with wounds in combat, it's basically this. You and I get into a fight with each other. If I punch you in the face, it's going to leave a bruise, but it's not going to harm you, per se. Whereas in Dungeons & Dragons, every strike causes damage. Every strike hurts you. And you run out of hit points, and eventually you're done. Palladium, you take a number of hits before you break the skin and it starts to cause real damage. So that's why there's the structural damage capacity, which you can consider your outer shell. Now you can stack that with armor. So if you're wearing a face mask and I punch you, the face mask takes the damage before your face takes the damage. When, and then ultimately after that, your, the integrity of your skull starts taking the damage. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the principle behind it. Okay. And it's, the way it works is this mechanically, great description of, of that, is a character has hit points. That's when you're in mortal danger. If you get to the point where your hit points are taking damage, that's internal bleeding. That's mm-hmm. concussions. That's contusions and bruisings. Um, those are the bad <laughs> things. Up until that point, you're taking structural damage. So if you think of Rocky in a fight, he's getting all banged up, but he's, come on, get me. He's not taking hit point damage yet. That's his SPC. That's a great Stallone. <laughs> I'm great at Stallone. Trust me. You have that structural damage capacity. It's uh, colloquially known as SDC. So in most Palladium games, your characters have SDC. That's what grows level after. Let me correct you real quick. I'm sorry. Everything in the game has a structural damage capacity. Yes. Everything. Everything. Yeah. Armor, doors, anything. Cars, everything. And so when that is broken, then you get to the hit points of a thing. Most objects just have the SPC when they're broken. Hit hit point is your actual life source that starts to get depleted once you get past that structural damage capacity. And that heals exceptionally slowly. So their healing rules are like some of those gritty homebrew rules we hear about with 5e and in older campaigns where it will take weeks to heal that damage. That's hit point damage healing. That takes a long time to heal. SDC, you get back faster, different ways, there's different things, but that's where you're being damaged. Some Palladium games, mostly the very space-fearing games and the big games like Rifts, Robotech, have what's known as mega damage, which is... When lasers hit you, when any when really big things hit you, they do that mega damage. It's immune to conventional weaponry yeah. is yeah. the best way to describe it. So you couldn't take a nine millimeter pistol and wear down MDC. It's not going to happen. However, if you have a reflex rifle like in Robotech, you'll wear down the mega damage. So like the Veritech fighters in Robotech, even though their machines are looked at as armor, your character pilots it. That's your armor. And each part of it has mega damage and you get through the mega damage and eventually gets to you. And very specifically, the correlation is 100 SDC is equal to one mega damage point. So when you have games like Rifts, you can have a human being who has, say, 30 hit points. He has a bunch of things that we'll talk when we get into skills 
how you can build up your character, but he could have anywhere from 50 to, if he does things just right, 100 or like 90 some odd SDC. So Hmm. that's a pretty beefy character, but guns do a lot of damage. Guns will take you down quickly. I don't know if they've changed it, but I know in the early days of Robotech, it was clearly stated a mega damage weapon will vaporize you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if you do not have mega damage armor and you get hit by mega damage, you're dead. It's not a question. It's not an issue. You're dead. That's just the way the game is written. There's also very specific rules. No matter how many hit points you have, you jump on a grenade, you're dead. You don't survive things that are unreasonable is the that, way the game is designed that's that's always been my biggest i don't hate dungeon dragons it's gonna sound like i do but i don't but that's always been my biggest gripe with dungeon dragons is it suspends too much disbelief sometimes sure whereas palladium is is a lot more so palladium fantasy is a lot more gritty and in my opinion than dungeons and dragons there is magic and stuff like that you can have a fighter magic user, but you have to stop building your character as a fighter and then build them as a magic user afterwards or a wizard. Huh. They call it. Whereas uh, dungeon dragons has a lot of rules for multi-classing and stuff like that. It is much more complicated to multi-class in palladium games. Right. So you tend to be better married towards whatever you're going to be for a class. <laughs> However, the way they get around that, and this is a great segue is skills. Your classes give you buckets or brackets of skill type. And so if you want to be something else, just get more of their skills because you have primary skills, you have secondary skills, there are different groups. So you can just pick up skills that they would have also. And then you're effectively doing that thing, just not as well as somebody who that was their specific training. And yeah, you don't get the bonuses. That's all. Yeah. You, you miss There's the bonuses, like bonuses. You're still doing the thing. And I think that is, again, much more realistic. Yes. And which brings us to Dead Rain, which is the, I think it's their latest game. It does jump on the popularity of the zombie bandwagon. And that was one of the things that appealed to me. One, I, I haven't played a post-apocalyptic game yet. So I wanted to do it. I didn't want to get into after the bomb just because I didn't want to do mutants. But I'm like, I like games about people, real people, which is why I usually stuck with the modern games, Ninja and Super Spies, Beyond the Supernatural, which I would still be doing if Palladium would put out content for it. They just don't. But Dead Rain, I love horror. I have been the biggest, biggest horror fan. I love zombie movies. I love the first half of the walking dead and it's like i think i was like i think we can do it better because i've got we got some of the best me personally i think i got some of the best players i know that really get into the game and lee joined us for a game hopefully he gets to join us again soon <laughs> so, I hope so it's got me really excited because the way the with the latest supplement it takes your standard post-apocalyptic zombie game and gives you all kinds of rules and backgrounds to make it more of a fantasy game in a modern setting where society is starting to devolve into kingdoms and cliques. One of the things I've been doing with my players is I actually created the world, drew it up in a map. I said, this is where you are. It's a little slice of New England somewhere. This is it. These are the towns. And one of the things I've been doing with my players is putting them in a situation where they literally have to find their roots find a place that they can claim and try to rebuild society, so to speak. And so far it's, it's been a lot of fun. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So you'd said earlier that the thing with Palladium games for the most part is that any other game from the Palladium family is all built on the same game engine. So what is it that, and, and Dead Rain really is what we're here to go ahead and talk about tonight. It being your, it's, being the game that you're running right now, that's really what we wanted to dive into. What is it that makes Dead Rain, uh, what makes it stand out from other Palladium games? What is it that kind of drew, is it just the subject matter that drew you out? Or or what is it about Dead Rain that brought you, that uh, that kind of brought you to it? So I do love the subject matter. Like I said, I love horror and zombies. The thing with Palladium is they don't always, it takes them 10 to 20 years to put out like second, third, fourth editions when they tweak their rules. So instead of doing that, they tend to update the rules a little bit every time they release a new game. So this game, in my opinion, has the best combat rules Palladium's ever done. They're yeah. a lot cleaner, 
faster because I can look back at some of my old played in fantasy books and then I'm looking at the dead rain rules and there's a lot of fluff in the combat that you can do without. So that I love that. So I can apply those rules and let's say I'm like, hey, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw together a fantasy game real quick, a one off if you want to do it. I can take some of those combat rules and transfer them into the game. With the post-apocalyptic setting, the sky's the limit as far as storytelling. There's a lot. There's not just bad guy of the week. Let's stop the bad guy. There's the environment. There's the survival. Something as simple as you have no food. If you don't find food by the end of this game, your character is going to starve to death. So you can set a lot more dread in the game. Whereas a lot of times when we run these games is take some of that stuff is taken from granted. Even at higher levels, uh, this game specifically has resource management at its core. And I've talked about how I love the thing I love about Rangers is how they help a party with resources. The problem with many five E games specific, most five E games, once you get beyond sixth level is there are enough spells and enough ways to get around resource management that it's a non-issue. Dead Rain, it's ever-present. There's never magic to get food. You right. have to find a location, secure a location, defend a location in order to keep those resources. And if your group grows, your resources dwindle. And while that's stuff for the storyteller to manage, it's good stuff for the storyteller to manage. There's something we should touch on real quick, too. This is in all Palladium games. Not all games take advantage of it, but Palladium uses an, an attribute called Potential Psychic Energy, or PPE. Now, all the games roll for it, but like I said, a lot of games don't even do anything with it. But with Dead Rain, the way they use PPE in this game is brilliant. So zombies in the Palladium universe are attracted to people with the highest PPE. So a character with a higher PPE is staying next to a character with a lower PPE is lunch. <laughs> you can use that and it to, to so much fun and just to switch it up a bit, or you'll have that one guy like if, cause I don't really tell the players anything like I'm like, if they don't know, they don't know. So if they're like, why are the zombies always chasing me? I'm like, I don't know. Why That's do you amazing. hate me? I don't know. Yeah. Meanwhile, just, there you go. meanwhile, Eddie's glaring at me because I know the scene. He knows. And he's, don't you say it. <laughs> don't you say it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that. But I have also run a one shot at Drinking and Dragons with this. And what I liked about it is even the most mundane characters are not significantly worse than the best characters. And to the PPE point, hero characters, the characters that player characters build will always have more PPE than your standard NPC. Hmm. The, by design, you're rolling more dice for that attribute. So you're going to better... The stuff will come after you first. <laughs> is how that works. I, I have a player who rolled up an ordinary guy. And <laughs> he's been one of the best characters in the a game. farmer? Yeah. He's just Howdy an ordinary neighbor. guy. Howdy neighbor. Yeah, yeah. He's amazing. Shout out, shout out to Jake if he's listening. Yeah, he, you can roll up. You could put a game together with a bunch of friends and said, hey, let's just roll ordinary guys and go with it. That adds even more fun to the game because you have all these ordinary people trying to figure out how to survive the apocalypse and they have no skills. That's exactly what I did for my one shot. I made 26 normal. I made two NPCs for every normal player character in the Dead Ring game. All of the non hero classes. And because of the way the system is built with the skills you get, normal people have a bucket of skills. In a modern game, you get a package for when you effectively go to college or for the type of job you have, yeah. the type of things that you do. So there's a college student character, right? There's a police officer. There happens to be a hero class, and that's not a term the game uses. That's one I'm using for better descriptive purposes. But there's a there's one for police officers. There's one for soldiers that are the high echelon Arnold Schwarzenegger level cop. If you want to play Bruce Willis and Die Hard, if you want to play that kind of cop, there's a hero class for that. But if you want to play Carl, there's a class for that. That's not the same. <laughs> and, and, and that's no, no shade towards Carl. I think Carl is cool as shit. Right. Most of the people in that movie were not hero class characters. Good guys or bad guys. They were not that level. Right. There was really Hans, 
and, 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 and McLean. Everybody else, except for one henchman or one or two henchmen, were all down here. They were regular <laughs> people. They were thugs. They were muscle. They were computer geeks. They were whatever. So this game allows you to build all of that. So I built all of those, and I said to the players, because they're all pregens, pick which one you're going to be, and I put and I just put them in the scene that I wanted to start at a spot. I took the map of the town I live in this really cool spot. And I said, and zombies are coming. What do you do? <laughs> and, and, and then it was a game about how they hole up in a bowling alley or try to get in a car, fight off some zombies and drive away and, and try to find a safe haven that one, one NPC knew about that, that <laughs> I, I seated with them early on. I thought they were going to hole up like in, in, in the living dead but they didn't do that they went on the road and they they, yeah. they took the show on the drive which i totally didn't expect i, I okay. try to give them all agency like a wherever you want to go whatever you want to do the only challenges have actually it's very helpful if you have some experience with strategy war games because with zombies it's pure numbers so you gotta keep track if you're gonna have a horde you need to have a horde and mm -hmm. Keeping track of all those zombies is not easy. Like this one gets shot, that one gets shot. But a lot of times I've been using the random tables where it determines where they get hit, what happens. So I've been letting, you know, allowing the players because you can roll on the table and get a one shot and take out the zombie. I've been letting them have it. It makes the combat go smoother and I can just add five more zombies. So obviously there are some key differences between Dead Rain and like a Ravenloft campaign from Dungeons and Dragons, but how do they compare sort of flavor wise? Like, and I know, I know Lee Winnick, you've certainly got experience with both with that sort of intrinsic creeping horror sort of game versus Dead Rain. How, but they seem like, they seem to be living in the same brain space for me, but I think that there are I think there are probably differences that I'm missing here. So what do you think? Are they is it in the same vein or are there more structural flavor differences between the two? I think it can be or it cannot be. It depends on what you want. So in the zombie movie arena, you've got fast zombies that are scientific a la 28 days or World War Z, which is even faster. You've got slow rolling zombies that are just, and then you've got ones that move faster, like the newer Dawn of the Dead with yep. Ving Rhames style. Uh, and then you've got funky dancing zombies like Thriller. I mean, yeah. yeah. And then, which is awesome. And then you've got <laughs> uh, zombies like The Walking Dead, which are probably somewhere between uh, Romero, the new Romero and slow zombies. They're somewhere right in between that. They don't run, but they're not slow. They will catch you if you're walking because eventually you slow down. They never do. So I think there's a lot of license. Each of the zombies that they mark, especially in the earlier Dead Rain books, are pretty uh, straightforward. But if you want to go more supernatural, they've got crazy zombie amalgamations. They've got all kinds of different options. So you can take the horror in any way you want to for your table. What makes sense at your table? What's working for the book or for the fiction you're writing? The game really allows for. What I think the difference between that and what Watsy's doing currently or other games may do is the fact that a zombie is a zombie is a zombie. If you want something that moves faster, it's a different thing. It's not a zombie. Here, there are just multiple types of zombies. So it, hmm. there's some, there's like an acknowledgement that this genre has variants. And you can play the variant you want. I chose to play a very straightforward Walking Dead style game. So I kicked out anything that was not a standard zombie for the most part from the game I ran. Because I wanted it to be just like the Walking Dead. But there could be some of the other ones. And they were pretty cool. And it was tempting to use them because they yeah. really do throw a monkey wrench into people's expectations. And we'll just say... if. In my game, because it is the plague is in my head canon and scientific, that doesn't mean something could not turn something else that way. So I could bop one out later yep. on down the road to really throw a monkey wrench in. 
Okay. So Dead Rain really allows you to, because in Ravenloft, zombies are supernatural. They are strictly supernatural. It's all supernatural, right? Versus Dead Rain, which kind of gives you more license to create the zombie genesis, however you want to create it. And then, so it sounds like a much more, it just sounds like a much more open concept, right? Yeah, you you could go strictly by the book rules with Palladium, or you can throw in your own little rules. A perfect example between zombie lore that we know and the Palladium zombie is just getting bit by a zombie doesn't change you to a zombie. You have to actually be killed by that zombie to become a zombie. But you could totally change that if you wanted to. If you can get a zombie to get through the structural damage capacity... That- say you're affected there there is a chart we sh- uh, should mention the charts there's so many charts in this game oh, that yeah. palladium's provided like when i started the game i even told my players i'm gonna go strictly by the dice so when they search for something i roll that's what they got one of them happened to got a bunch of dynamite and huh. they keep blowing up hordes of zombies <laughs> but they have charts or if you get bit by a zombie whether or not you get an infection or not and that infection will cause you to lose hit points if not treated. And a lot of times basic first aid won't cover it. <laughs> so you can totally go by those rules or you can just say, oh, they broke the skin. You're going to turn unless one of them cuts your arm off or something. You can do whatever you want. It's that's one of the things I love about the system is it's not as rigid as most. Yep. And taking out one rule doesn't tend to affect the rest of the game. Yeah, <laughs> it is. We talk a lot about bounded accuracy in uh 5e games where yeah you have to be careful what you do here because that can really impact this other element over here whereas with palladium in general that's a non-issue i can get rid of pretty much any part of it and it doesn't impact any other part of it there's not a lot of in that regard it's very much like 2e in that there are core mechanics, but there's nothing really tied to those core mechanics and nothing is really balanced to something else. They're just, this is what it is. It's one of the fundamentals of Palladium games as a whole. There are simply put character classes that are better than other character classes. They don't try to make every character class balanced. Some things are better than others, period, wholesale. That's just the end of the story. It's up to your players as a group to select the characters they think will balance out the characters, which is hmm. why a lot of time, and I've been lucky a lot of times you'll have a group where two guys aren't being soldiers. One guy's a soldier, one guy's a doctor, one guy's something else. So that's usually a good thing. You need to have a well-rounded group. And that's the click. If you're all like a bunch, it was like, if you had a bunch of clerics, <laughs> you're not going to really do as well as if you had a cleric fighters and mixture of barbarians, paladins. That's one of the things I loved about the group at Eddie's table is we had the farmer. Like when we were trying to build a society, not having a farmer, that's a problem if you don't have that. Someone's got to be able to grow food. My character plays a soldier, but not just a soldier. I'm playing a combat engineer. Not a great departure. That's actually what I did when I was in the military. But I literally (laughs) built a fan fiction model of myself had I stayed in and actually been something humble, impressive. Within a few days of figuring his character out, he already had the figure, the photo, the sheet. He's telling me his whole history. I could write a book on this guy, Mm. and I might. I I suspect that the background on this character might be very similar to the background on Mr. Paxton Riggs, who is currently the player in the uh, in the uh, the real thing actual play that's airing as as we record this. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Do what you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, guilty! I'm telling you, I love you, my friend, and I think that you have played all of about three characters the the twenty mumble years that I've known you, but. Yeah, we've all done before. it. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> Look, I I am playing myself from the '90s in this game, so I get it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, like me being a soldier is because looking at the group, there was the one character uh, played by aforementioned Mike, who's the dog handler, which is so much. It, that is Mike. Like, like I think half of our group just did. This is who I am, so this is what I'm doing. I think half our group. Actually, you always put a little of yourself anyway. It's hard but, not um, to. I what I liked about Dead Rain is it really gave you that option to play that fantasy version of yourself in this situation, which is the fun of zombie game movies anyway. What would mm. you do? What, what would, would you, you do? do? Yeah. That's the core question in a zombie movie. If this situation appeared to you, 
what would you do? Would you run? Yeah. Would you stay? How would you build? How would you survive? These are the core questions. I literally get to play out those doomsday prepper fantasies with dice. I'm, I'm a computer programmer and I'm really good at Jeopardy. Once the electricity goes out, I'm the one collaborating with the enemy to go ahead and get a better station in life so they don't maybe eat me and maybe eat my friends instead. Like, that's totally me. But that's... <laughs> Yeah. Sing a few songs, you become scan them, Scanlan or whatever. Exactly, yeah, you know. Well, that's what you got to do to survive. Well, yeah, yeah, look at it this way. If there's only one radio left in the world and you're the only one who knows how to fix it, you're now the king. I'm a software guy, man. I don't know anything about hardware. I can't fix your radio. I'm sorry. And like that's if your windows won't boot up, I can help you out as long as we get electricity, well, but that's about all I got. Well, you just failed your skill check. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Which is why my character took electrical engineering so mm -hmm. I can get generators going. Yeah, so that yeah, problem yeah. doesn't yeah. happen. So I know this story from Luinico because I think I've asked him on various shows, probably 17 times at this point. You said that you started playing in the Palladium system and then eventually moved into the storyteller role. What was it about Palladium that helped you make that jump or convinced you to take that step from being a player to being a storyteller and running your own games for other people? I've run... Dungeons and Dragons, first edition and advanced. The thing that really jumped me into it is uh, to mention Mike again. Mike had joined the army, went to boot camp, and he was our dungeon master. And I struggled because I hate Thacko. If you remember Thacko, oh, I struck. Oh yeah, I struggled with that system really bad. I tried sure, to run yeah. it for everybody, and I said, "Guys, listen. I know the Palladium system. If you want to play fantasy, I'll run the fa Palladium fantasy game." And everybody jumped on board, and that's how I started. Mike eventually came back and, and started running Dungeons & Dragons again. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to look at the other stuff. And I started Ninjas & Super Spies was my next one because we all love James Bond. We all yes. love ninjas. Yes. Uh, the beauty of the Palladium game is there's 30-something martial arts in Ninjas & Super Spies. There's 37, hmm. something More like that. More than that if you get into Mystic China. Yeah, it, so all these martial arts systems you could actually use in all the games if you wanted. So nice. the basics are hand-to-hand -hand basic, advanced. I think there's a commando and assassin. But then mm. if you want, you can do Wing Chun Kung Fu. You can do ninjutsu, Thai kickboxing. That's the beauty of the game. So yeah. that's kind of how I got into it. It was out of necessity. Like everyone wanted to play, and I just wasn't cutting it as a dungeon master. <laughs> but hey, we, we stick with what we're good at. Totally. So to kind of give some context, combat in Palladium is a bit different than what we're used to, certainly from 5e and, and yes. a bit more different than than 3.5 or 2e. Essentially, combat works in, in an attack and a defense, but there are so many different things you can do. So kick damage is, ha is higher than punch damage, and depending on your martial arts skill and your stats, You'll have bonuses to kick damage. You'll have special moves that you can choose to do. So you can start getting more cinemagraphic fights, but there are rules for it, right? Mm -hmm. So nothing says you can't try it. You just don't get bonuses to do it or right. specifically large amounts or useful amounts of damage out of doing it. So like you can do roundhouse kicks or you can do jump kicks or backward side kicks. Those come with specific skill choices and martial arts choices combat choices that you make during character generation and or character advancement and better than that the martial arts you choose also build up your stats because um the, the way the skill system works is you have a character you roll your stats very similar to the way you roll D, &D stats or called different things or whatever but there's a physical stat ps physical strength if you take a skill like bodybuilding that adds plus two to your physical strength yeah and 10 to your sdc because bodybuilding like that, yeah. makes you stronger more resistant to damage mm -hmm. and that if you take boxing you now get uh, an extra attack per round it is the only skill in the game that gives you an extra attack skill that gives you an extra attack actually yep. Newer books, there might be one thing that does it also, but it's, it's traditionally the only one that does that. It is also one of the few skills that if you don't get it as your primary skill or you don't take it as a secondary skill option, you cannot ever get it later in the game. So there, it's just one of those neat yeah. nuances. But hmm. all your physical skills, 
running increases your speed, increases your SDC, uh, increases your physical endurance. With your martial arts, they can also increase some of your mental stats. So Aikido and Tai Chi, Tai Chi was a big one. They will increase different stats, and you generally, unless you have a specific character class from ninjas and super spies you only get one major martial art you can only take one martial art you can't <laughs> take two or three but it, there are there's a specific martial arts class that will allow you to take two of them so you can be uh, at that high level in two different martial arts you can actually do two different things i think it's the same rules as this as, i'd have to look it up it's been a long time i think it's the same rule as the skill i think you would have to stop advancing in one and focus on the other so if you have Aikido and decide to do Thai boxing, you have to your next level up. You have to not level up your Aikido, and you have to level up your Thai boxing. Yeah. So it holds you up a little bit, but getting that Thai boxing and you get that shin kick goes right to the hit points. Yeah. That that was one thing with the Thai kickboxing is it went right to your hit points and caused serious damage. Worldly martial artists, they could do like the leopard uh, martial art has got, and a couple others, there's some of them that have martial art powers, like the fingers of the death punch or whatever. Yep. And so it gets really involved when you're doing ninjas and super spies. In a game like that, uh, Rain, it used to take us hours to do characters for ninjas and super spies. I, I will tell it's you, it's a very skill heavy game. It, it huh. is, but they had nice packages. Like yeah. uh, my character went to college, so you get the college package. My character went to boot camp, so you get the the military package, which comes with the different things. So you take this parent category, and you get five or six skills within it. So your typical Palladium character will have thirty different skills. They're all yeah. done by percentage it, rolls. It was tough it's updating them because it would just take so long. And it got to the point where if a character got killed, we literally were saying, tell you what, just erase your name and write a new one. I'm twin brother. I just got out of training. Uh, Um, (laughs) I can generally create a Palladium system character that is fun, enjoyable, and functional and at play in under 20 minutes, usually. I'm usually pretty good, depending. and, And that's if I'm rusty or rusty at that system. Riffs, I can off the rip. I can do a risk character in about 15 minutes. I was getting to the point where I could do a Robotech character off the top of my head. <laughs> I played the hell out of it so much, and it was Robotech, and I, I, I was just so enthusiastic about that game when we ran it. I could go on a great length. Palladium characters are a challenge to build for new players. They're interesting and fun for veteran players, but if you can populate your table with a good mix... It can be a really rewarding experience. We all built characters for any. I'm glad you together. said that. There's a lot of. Fun. I'm glad you said that. We touched on this. I think the very first time we compared the two games, and the one thing I gave Wizard of the Coast credit on was that they have a starter set that you can just use to learn the game, whereas Palladium Books has nothing like that. And I think it's to their detriment. I really think they would benefit by having some kind of stripped down starter game based in the fantasy realm that people could just jump in on. And if they really get a feel for the game, they can start a regular full scale played in fantasy game or any other game. Also, he's too little too late when it comes to making novels about the games. That was like huge in the 90s, and I think it's waned a little bit. Sure. He's really slow on that. And the one time he did it in the 90s, those books were horrible. (laughs) I don't know who wrote them, but I was personally offended reading them. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So if the character creation portion of Palladium games in general can be uh, a wall that new players have to climb over. How would you recommend new players who want to get into a Palladium system? What's the best way for them to get into it and begin engaging with it that maybe helps overcome that entrance barrier? Game masters need to pre-write some characters for them, to be honest. Just have a make a small stack, give them basic backgrounds, let the players change them as they see fit. And say, hey, let's do this one shot. Give him something easy. This guy with a gun. And let's see if you like that. And if they get into it, they'll want to make a more in-depth, fleshed-out character. I encourage them to make the characters as fleshed-out as possible. I want to know everything about them. Because I like to 
personally key my games towards that, give everybody their own personal goal. I, I would absolutely concur with that. I would also add that one of the things that game masters and storytellers can do is when they're making those pre-gens, leave a few skills blank. Like, to be honest, the system does a lot of that for you. If you pick a given class, especially in Dead Rain, in most of the games, Ninjas and Super Spies is the exception to that rule, and, and Supers is the exception to that rule. Most of the games, you pick your class, it prescribes a number of skills that are, that are for that class, and then it gives you a couple things where you get an option, like you can drive trucks or cars. So I would say set that up, Highlight the choice, the the skills where choices need to be made, but you make up the character sheet. Whether you do that on a PDF or you do that in paper, you make the character sheet, highlight the choices, and then say, your character's mostly done. (laughs) What's left is for you to fill in the the good bits. Do you want to be a motorcycle guy or a truck guy? Excellent. You have a choice of physical skill or a choice of secondary skills. I never pick secondary skills when I do pregens for Palladium. So these are the things that you just do or have fun with on the side. You pick those and they can be anywhere from these categories. And that's where you've taken all the heavy lifting out of the book for them, but you show them that skill section and then you can pick a skill that you think would make sense for you to have. What are some things you'd like to do? Ninjas and Super Spice is notorious because they have an RPG designer, which by the way, if you pick that skill, you get plus one to your physical endurance because we're up all night doing the game. <laughs> it's a brilliant nod to everything we do. I don't know, um, I've known a lot of RPG creators and I'm not sure any of them have any additional. Fueled by pictures. Mountain Dew and Beef yeah. Jerky, baby. But we do it. If you think about those nights of a constant gaming oh back uh, in the day a, a, a larp all all night after whatever shenanigans we were up to during the day and then denny's till five in the morning that's physical endurance the the, the number of times that we saw the sun come up at denny's after larping all night was uh, was more than once yeah so with just to go back and introducing uh players if if new players have trouble getting out of their shell as far as fleshing out a character palladium offers you random tables for personality mm-hmm. traits, just hey, let the dice decide. That's that's always been my philosophy. Let the dice decide. Don't think too hard. <laughs> yeah. Roll the die. Like, oh, you're a recovering alcoholic with PTSD, yep. and most of the time, a person will be like, I, I could do something with that. Yeah, okay. you know, and then they roll with that. And once you get through the character creation portion, obviously, Palladium has a different engine running it. But does the engine function like any other game engine, or is there anything about Palladium that new players would have to watch out for or be aware of or common traps that new players fall into kind of within the Palladium system? Or does it does the engine basically run the way that the engine is supposed to run? It's very easy, as Lee pointed out, to beef up a character. It's very easy to OP your character. I, I would say what they're more likely to do is have a lot of choices and not know what to do because you've got this huge amount of skills in the exploration pillar it's easy because it's i want to do that thing can you do you know how to use a radio the skills Mm -hmm. there it's not and a dm can say i can give you a chance at it but it's pretty minimal because skilled people only have a 33 percent chance of doing this thing Right. That part becomes very easy. People start to flow into, oh, so I do these things and these these are things I'm good at. So then it's up to the storyteller to know what his players have for skills and put the challenges that make sense for those players. I usually ask them, like, what's your strength, your prowess and your endurance? Oh, they're low. Learn to run. Pick the skills to get your speed way up there because the game is survival. Part of surviving is running. Yeah. Take the force march skill because you're going to be moving, walking a lot. They pick the right skills to get around your weaknesses in the game, which is what I like. So if you can't use a gun, learn how to blow stuff up. People will get paralyzed with the amount of choices with it. So depending on the type of game you're playing, DMs can offer suggestions early and then people will very easily pick that up. Like as much as it may, honestly, character creation is the biggest challenge. I think everything else just plays like any other role-playing game. So if somebody has played a role-playing game before, once they get through the character generation, the rest of it's easy to pick up. If they've never played a role-playing game before and they're starting with this, once they learn this, every other role-playing game they'll ever play will be easy. (laughs) And that's not because this is inherently harder. It's just because it's intuitive. 
Like okay. it is, I want to fix something. There's a skill, there's four different skills for fixing things and they're very specific. So if you have that skill, you've got it. <laughs> and then like any other game, a good storyteller will let a player say, how about if I use this to do that? Cause it's similar and they'll work yeah. with that and give, they might lower the odds, but they'll give them that. Yeah. Shot. And there's always a chance of failures, which I like you can, only the highest you can max your skills out is 98%. There's always a chance for failure, even if you are the greatest at something, which is another thing I love about the game. Cool. All right, Eddie, let us know. Where can our listeners go to listen to the great content that you and Mike are are putting out? Because I, I certainly want to go check out some of your stuff now, especially some of that, that comparison shows uh, between uh, Palladium and D here. So, Well, it's still uh, up on all the platforms, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. The website, I'm the, revamping it. I, was gonna say, I don't think we've said the name of your podcast yet. <laughs> it's Basement Quest Gaming. Nice. The Basement Quest Gaming website's uh, down currently because I'm revamping it. Like I said, we plan to relaunch everything. We took a hiatus because between COVID and we both got promoted at, so we've been busy. <laughs> rough, rough life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's been tough to get the game together. So pretty much you'll be seeing us go full force with uh, the YouTube channel. We also do some, uh, he does some play-by-plays on Warhammer a lot. So mm-hmm. we'll have more of those videos coming up. I love Warhammer. Yeah, more yeah. more podcasting. You can follow me on my website, www.eddiejakes.com. I do some blogging there. I'm also a writer, but that's more a writing-centric site. But I'm also launching my own YouTube channel and streaming on Twitch. So I got a lot of stuff in the pipeline that's coming up and hopefully Great. more gaming. And uh, hopefully see more lee at the table yeah yeah i i am hoping that can happen the more i get to work from home the better that will occur and that's me <laughs> praying to the gods to let me do more work from he, home. he wants me to yeah. make more wings is what it is it's a subtle I way mean, of saying get more wings i know <laughs> how much i know how much my friend enjoys wings so i do that's not doubt that was a primary motivator <laughs> important lesson guys listening out there game zero should always involve wings they always involve especially if it involves lou and make, make sure you it, got it your ma- wings it makes the pain of rolling up palladium <laughs> characters less less strenuous <laughs> Sheets don't suffer that. They're a little mi- dingy, but yeah. <laughs> That's how we like it. Yeah. Raw. Uh, raw. <laughs> That's awesome. Eddie, we really appreciate you taking some time to come on here tonight to go ahead and talk oh, to Eddie. us. I'm sure that we will be picking your brain as we start to move through some of the other uh, Palladium clones. Uh, this is not going to be the only time that we talk about Palladium. And so having a ringer who knows the system so well is a feather in our cap. So we will absolutely be taking advantage. I of love this, talking uh, Palladium. So. Nice. Awesome. Thank you, everybody out there uh, for listening. So coming up next week, we are going to be doing our episode about the uh, the latest critical role a show on Amazon Prime, Vox Machina. If you So this will be your pre-episode spoiler warning that if you have not finished Vox Machina, finish by next Saturday so that we can go ahead and, and talk about it without uh, spoiling the ending for you. I am at the point of this recording about, about half to two-thirds of the way through it, and it's getting pretty dark. It's pretty interesting. A little bit more uh, a little bit more depth than I thought it was going to. So I'm, I'm enjoying this. That's going to be a good episode next week. Until then, nice to see you as always. Eddie, thanks again very much for coming on. Uh, Thank you. And everybody out there listening, uh, we will talk to you again next time. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we did you shade and sweet water. Hey.